Thanks, Steve and Dick, so much. Well, greetings. <laughs> you guys came from a long distance. It is great to be here. 70 years, 70 years. I'll turn 70 next year. And so I've been here since uh, 19 years ago. Uh, I came two or three times as a faculty member, and then when I uh, migrated into the president's office, they uh, drafted me, and uh, that's part of the uh, pri privilege and responsibility is to be here with you uh, here at Mount Hermon for these kinds of weeks. And so uh, other than one year that I couldn't come, uh, I've been here all 19 of these years. Uh, next year, uh, June 30th, I'll move from being president to being chancellor. Chuck Swindoll will be move from chancellor to chancellor emeritus. His job won't change. My job will change drastically. And that's by our choice, and we announced to the board about 18 months ago that uh, we uh, felt that would be a good time for us to transition. The seminary is in great shape. Uh, God has been very gracious to us. It looks like we'll have another record enrollment this fall. And uh, the strength of the faculty, the camaraderie that we've enjoyed both at the faculty and the board level has been wonderful. So it's a great time to uh, pass the baton to a new generation and uh, stick around as the board has asked me to, to be a cheerleader. And so uh, I, I may get invited back here uh, as a chancellor, I don't know, but uh, this will be my last year as president here at uh, Mount Hermon, but uh, it's, a, it's great to have you here. Uh, I want to tell you, uh, those of you who are new to the, uh, our week with Dallas Week, we have a little bit more Bible teaching than normal uh, in a normal family camp, and so we have two sessions in the morning and one in the evening. We normally do a book study in the evening, but we're going to do something a little bit different this year. We're going to let the 9 o'clock hour, excuse me, the uh, 9.30 hour, uh, be uh, our Bible hour, and Dr. Mark Yarborough is going to uh, walk us through uh, the book of Jonah in the four sessions that he will have with us. In the 11 o'clock hour, uh, the speakers have a choice to bring something that God's laid upon their heart, and in the evenings, uh, we're going to celebrate the faithfulness of God in looking at various aspects of uh, the uh, attribute of God's faithfulness. And so uh, tonight, uh, uh, you're going to need maybe just to sit with a pencil and uh, a Bible and maybe uh, with a quick uh, uh, slide of your finger, with a quick turn of the page, you might be able to stay up with us. But I want to introduce uh, this great topic of the faithfulness of God. It was hinted in the song that was just sung that faithlessness is one of the greatest blights of the human condition. We're living in a fickle and a frustrating world in which uh, one's word is no longer a trustworthy bond, where one's promises are often left unfulfilled, and where self-protection and self-preservation seem to be justifiable reason, justifiable reason alone to say one thing and mean or do another. Character is revealed at the intersection of values and behavior. A friend of mine just this week sent me a story I love. It says, prior to finals week, four college buddies procrastinated their studies, and during a late night of partying, they realized their first final was the next morning. In their panic, they devised a plan to miss the class and appeal to the dean to take the exam on another day. Covering themselves with dirt and grease, they went into the dean's office and explained that they had been at a friend's wedding the night before and left late in the evening, and unfortunately, they had a flat tire, the spare was also flat, so they ended up pushing the car back to campus only to arrive right now, just missing the class. So they asked the dean if he would let them take the final on another day. The dean listened without saying a word, 
And when the students finished their story, he agreed to let them take the final three days later. They thanked the dean for his understanding, and for the next three days, these students studied day and night. And on that extended third day, they went to the dean's office to take their final exam. The dean welcomed them, but he explained because the professor was gone for the semester, they would have to take uh, the final in separate rooms, and they needed to leave their backpacks, notebooks, phones, etc., in his office, since no one would oversee them taking the exam. They understood, dutifully left their possessions in the dean's office, and he escorted them to four different rooms where the final exam was already on the desk. And once the dean left, they could begin taking the exam. With each student in a different room, they opened the exam to discover there were only two questions. Number one, my name, worth one point. Number two, which tire? 99 points. As I said, character is revealed at the intersection of values and behavior. By contrast to that fun story on the one hand, and what we see in a fickle and a frustrating and a very uh, weird culture, we serve a God whose character does not change and whose decisions could never be indicted. Nothing so expands the mind or transforms the soul of a believer as the deliberate and devout investigation of the attributes of God. A.W. Tozier, in one of my favorite books, The Knowledge of the Holy, states this. A right conception of God is basic not only to systematic theology, but to practical Christian living as well. It is to worship what foundation is to the temple. Where it is inadequate or out of plumb, the whole structure must sooner or later collapse. Tozier goes on to say, I believe there is scarcely an error in doctrine or a failure in applying Christian ethics that cannot be traced finally to uh, imperfect or ignoble thoughts about God. When we talk about God's attributes, we're talking about his character. I want you just to listen to the following verses. You may want to jot them down. I'll give you the references. But I want to see if you can catch two directions of God's values and God's behavior, both of which reveal the true nature of a one particular attribute of his character. Psalm 33, 4, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all that he does. Psalm 111, 7, the works of his hands are faithful and just. All of his precepts are trustworthy. Psalm 145, verse 13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all of his words and kind in all of his works. Did you catch those two themes? I love what Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Baptist preacher from the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, said it this way. God writes with a pen that never blots. He speaks with a tongue that never slips. And he acts with a hand that never fails. God is faithful to his word. Listen to Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. I love that. Just know he's God. The faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments 
to a thousand generations. He's not only faithful in his words, he's also faithful in his works. Deuteronomy 32.4, he is a rock and his works are perfect. All of his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Arthur Pink, the preacher of yesteryear, said it this way, far above all finite comprehension is the unchanging faithfulness of God. Everything about God is great, vast, and incomparable. He never forgets, he never fails, he never falters, and he never forfeits his word. See, all that God is must accord with all that God does. All that God says must accord with all that God does. And there can be no conflict in either the character or the conduct of God. And there is no conflict among his attributes. He's never less than just, and he's never less than loving all of the time. He will never be impatient. He'll never be late. He'll never be time-bound. He'll never be wondering who can help him. He's self-existent. He's eternal. He's righteous. He's holy. He's just. But one of the attributes that holds all of it together is that he has to be all of that in order for him to stay faithful in all of his ways and faithful in all of his words. There can be no conflict and never will be a conflict in the attributes of God. I like what Hudson Taylor said. All God's giants have been weak men and women who have gotten a hold of God's faithfulness. All of God's giants have been weak men or women who have gotten a hold of God's faithfulness. Tozier again, only as he is faithful with his covenants, stand and his promises uh, excuse me, only as he is faithful will his covenant stand and his promises be honored. Only as we have complete assurance that he is faithful, may we live in peace and look forward with assurance to the life to come. This week in our evening sessions, they're all about the celebration of this one particular attribute of God's character, his attribute of faithfulness. We're going to see it in its value in a series of different specific applications. Each of the men who will speak between now and when I finish on Friday evening in these sessions will take one aspect of God's faithfulness as it has a very practical application. And that's just a small selection. And when we come to Friday, we'll expand that a little bit and take it all the way to the future. I know that some of you have come and you've lost members of your family recently. You've lost a mom or a, a dad a mate, a child, maybe has walked away from the faith and from you and from the Lord. And maybe you've lost your job and uh, you're looking and uh, wondering what God is going to do. Maybe you, like uh, some I know, have received a diagnosis you weren't expecting. You're rocking and reeling from a betrayal you didn't expect. Somebody may have broken trust and defaulted on a contract and you've got to find someone else that won't be so difficult to work with. Some of you may be facing uncertain futures dependent on decisions of others. For some here tonight, sin may have you in its vice grip, 
and you doubt whether you could or even should dare to ask forgiveness again. But what if it all was lost? Your home, your family, your place of work, your place of worship, your very physical security, your country, even your national identity. What if all of that was gone? I want you to listen to a man for whom that was his experience. Just listen. I'm a man who has seen trouble, the writer says. Trouble coming from the lash of God's anger. He took me by the hand and walked me into pitch black darkness. Yes, he's given me the back of his hand over and over and over again. He turned me into a scarecrow of skin and bones and then broke those bones. He hemmed me in, he ganged up on me, he poured trouble in hard times. He locked me up in the deep darkness like a corpse nailed inside of a coffin. He shuts me in so I'll never get out. Manacles, my hands and shackles, my feet. Even when I cry out and plead for help, he locks up my prayers and throws away the key. He sets up blockades with quarried limestone. He, he's got me cornered. He's, he's like a prowling bear tracking me down, a lion in uh, hiding, ready to pounce. He knocked me from the path and ripped me to pieces. And when he finished, there was nothing left. He took out his bow and his arrows and used me for target practice. He shot me in the stomach with arrows from his quiver. Everyone took me for a joke, made me the butt of their mocking ballads. He forced rotten, stinking food down my throat. He bloated me with vile drinks. He ground my face into the gravel. He pounded it into the mud. I gave up on life altogether. I've forgotten what the good life is like. I said to myself, this is it, I'm finished. God has lost cause. I'll never forget the trouble, the utter lostness, the taste of ashes, the poison I swallowed. I remembered it all, oh how well I remember the feeling of hitting the bottom. There's one thing I remember. In remembering, I keep a grip on hope. God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried up. They're created new every morning. How great is your faithfulness. I'm sticking with God, and I'm going to say it over and over. He's all that I've got. God proves to be good to the man who passionately waits, to the woman who diligently seeks. It's a good thing to quietly hope, to quietly hope for help from God. It's a good thing when you're young to stick it through in hard times. And when life is heavy and hard to take, to go off by yourself, enter the silence, but bow in prayer, don't ask questions, wait for hope to appear. Don't run from trouble, take it full face. The worst is never the worst, why? Because the master won't ever walk out and fail to return. If he works severely, he also works tenderly. His stockpiles of loyal love are immense. He takes no pleasure in making life hard, in throwing roadblocks in the way, stomping down on luckless prisoners, refusing justice to victims in the high court of God, tampering with evidence. The master does not approve of such things. That's a paraphrase of Lamentations chapter 3. What are we to think? And how do we respond when we contemplate the faithfulness of God? I want to give you three ways tonight. And I want to give them to you, and then I'm just going to quote a couple of verses and make a point with each of these. 
because I find them to be absolutely profound. Number one, like Eugene Peterson paraphrased in the message, that great chapter that I just read, God wants us to contemplate his faithfulness. He wants us to contemplate his faithfulness. Psalm 86, 15, but you, O Lord, are a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You see, the faithfulness of God is abundant. It's abundant. Number two, it's available. Psalm 105, Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good, and his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Some of these have already been set to music. Modern lyrics, quoting, excuse me, ancient lyrics with modern melodies. You see, God's faithfulness is abundant, but number two, God's faithfulness is available. It's it's available. It endures forever to any generation. I love that. And to quote the middle section of that Lamentations, it's also accessible. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I said to the Lord, I said to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. It's abundant. It's available. It's accessible. As you and I contemplate the faithfulness of God, we need to do what Jeremiah did. The year was 586 B.C. The enemy was uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the boys from Babylon. After three uh, successive uh, invasions in 606, 597, and 586 B.C., the city of Jerusalem, along with the temple, was destroyed. And God brought in that uh, disciplining hand of Babylon to take Judah out of uh, the land for a period of 70 years. Israel had already gone in in 722 at the hands of Sennacherib. Judah, the southern kingdom, goes into captivity. The city's destroyed. The country's obliterated. The people are exiled. The temple is gone. Homes are gone. Families are split. The city is destroyed. The national identity is at stake. And he says, but when I think about the faithfulness of God, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. In contemplating the faithfulness of God, God wants us to wait on him in trust. Trusting what? His words and his ways. The intersection of his values and his behavior. Because it will always be right. God can never be less than God in all of his attributes. He never gets better, or that would say something about his imperfection before. And he never gets worse, or he would lose the perfection of his character now. And that's why he's immutable. He's unchanging in all of his attributes, including his faithfulness. Can I ask you a question tonight? You willing to wait on him? Knowing, based on the word of God, that you can trust him. You can take it to the bank. There's a second application. 
That is, because of who God is and how God is, God wants us to celebrate his faithfulness. We do that in song and in word. And Psalm 71, 22 says this, I will praise you with a harp for your faithfulness. That's just a guitar without the neck. I will sing praise to you with a lyre, O Holy One of Israel. The harp and the lyre to celebrate the faithfulness of one he can call my God, who he also knows as the Holy One of Israel. J.I. Packer, in another book of mine that I like, that's one of my favorites, I should say, in Knowing God, he says, a lack of the knowledge of God is the reason why our faith is so feeble and our worship so flabby. Isn't that great? As we sing this week, you will find, because I know who's leading us, that we will not have trite words. It won't all be about me. It'll be about him. Uh, how he works with us is inappropriate. We're to sing songs and we're to speak to one another at the horizontal level uh, of, of psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. But uh, when you see what's modeled in the scripture and the lyrics that we have available to us, it's not all about us. It's not all about us. It's about him. He wants us to celebrate it. So Psalm 89, one of the great passages on the faithfulness of God, and we don't have time to exposit the whole chapter, but I'd read that over and over this week as we go through our series. He says, let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? And who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? These are rhetorical questions. A God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you. O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. See, this speaks of the quality of his incomparable faithfulness. Who is like the Lord? Nobody is like the Lord. It's a rhetorical question. When you study the psalmist, you study praise in the Old Testament. Praise is directed to God for four reasons. Number one, his uh, attributes that we're talking about. Number two, his name and all that it means. Number three, his actions. But number four is the fact that he's incomparable. Nobody is like God. He's unique. He's totally different because there can be only one God. As Paul said, though there be many that are called gods, yet there is just one God. God's quality is incomparable. The quality of his faithfulness doesn't compare with anybody anywhere. Number two, the quantity is immeasurable. Listen to Psalm 108, 3 and 4. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. Here's the celebration. I'll sing praises to you among the nations. Watch the testimonial aspect of that. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens, and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Another one that's been put into modern hymnody. You see, if his quality is incomparable, the quantity is immeasurable. Among the nations, horizontal, high to the heavens, it reaches to the clouds. That's the vast expression of the faithfulness of God. If in contemplation we're to wait for him in trust, in celebration, we should worship him in truth. See, Jesus said that. God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth.
Is what you sing true about God? Is what you think true about God? Elsewhere, Tozier says, a man's faith can never be greater than his concept of God, and, and no church will ever be greater than her concept of God. What you think about God, he says, is the most important thing that you think. Wait for him in trust. We worship him because it's all true. I love the words of Scripture. All of his words are true. See, that's why I believe this from cover to cover. That's why I'm more excited about my Bible study and my life than I've ever been before. That's why it's a, not a whole lot of motivation <laughs> for me to get up and go to the seminary, to be involved in teaching his word. It's, 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 the, it's the most easiest thing in the world because it's true. It's true. A friend of mine said, I believe it cover to cover, and that includes the maps. <laughs> They're not always accurate, but at least through Revelation 22 is okay. In my contemplation, I want to wait for him in trust. In my celebration, I want to worship him in truth. But because of what he is and what he's like, number three, God wants us to communicate his faithfulness. Personally, faithfully, daily, and eternally. Listen to those. Personally, Psalm 40.10. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I've not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great generation. I love that. You say, what's the great generation? Any generation you're in can be great. <laughs> as far as communicating the faithfulness of God. See, he said, I didn't hide it away. I spoke about it. I didn't conceal it. I shared it. It's personal. This is God's faithfulness to me that I'm going to tell you about. It's that personal. One of the great things to have fellowship, and I get that clue from Philemon where he says, uh, I pray that the fellowship of your faith may be effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you, for Christ's sake. So we often share what's going bad in our lives. We often share what's going wrong in our lives. We often share the, the aches and the pains in our lives. But fellowship is affected when we share the good things God is doing in our lives that have the benefit of Christ in mind. You don't hide it. You share it. Here's how God's been faithful to me. How's God been faithful to you? Faithfully, we're to communicate it. Psalm 89 again, verses 1 and 2. Again, you'll hear this, this the, the, you'll almost hear the melody. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I'll make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever to the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. See, I, I'm going to make it known to all generations. Listen to me, grandparent, great-grandparent, parent. Will your kids, grandkids, and great-grandkids hear of the faithfulness of God? The Bible calls on you to share it with all generations. Where will they hear about what God has done in your life? Where will they know when God got a hold of your heart? Where will they see those memorial stones, so to speak, experiences where God came through 
what only God could do. You writing them down? You sharing them with your kids, your grandkids? You need to know that your grandkids and your great grandkids are looking to you. Because we're living in a culture where people are wondering if it's true. And they want to know that it's true to you. Because it's true. Faithfully. Psalm 92, 1 and 2, daily. It's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praise to your name, O Most High. Watch. To declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. I think God wants us to start and end recognizing that we're enveloped in our day by the faithfulness of God. I confess those aren't my first and last thoughts often. But studying for this and thinking of this passage, I want them to be. I want them to be. Barbie and I are at a point in our lives where we're doing a lot of uh, soul searching and reminiscing a little bit and planning and not retiring from, but retiring to and moving into the chancellor role and the responsibilities the board will ask me to do with that. What do I want to watch God do? And one of the greatest things that uh, Barbie and I talk about is what a life God's allowed us to have, a privilege. It's no right to be in ministry, it's a privilege. It's, it's not a right to open God's word and teach it even to our kids, our grandkids. It's a privilege. Barbie had the privilege just about a month ago to lead our, our he just turned six, our six-year-old grandson. She was at the table with him and they were talking about a tsunami and he said, if, well, if there's a tsunami, everybody goes to heaven. And she said, uh, she could have said, nice kid. But my wife, being ever lover of truth, said, that's not true. He goes, what do you mean? Only people who go to heaven are those who accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, receive Jesus Christ into their lives. I don't know all the words, but it was sort of like, really? Do I have Jesus in my heart? Do you? I don't know. <laughs> she had the privilege of leading him to the Lord. She almost, she said, don't you want to wait till mom and dad go? No. Why would I want to wait? Bowed his head, and when he lifted his head up, his, 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 tears were filled with, his eyes were filled with tears. And then he said what? Hallelujah, I'm going to heaven. <laughs> and you know what? We're with him enough a couple times a week. His prayers have changed within the last month. Used to be, thank you for the food, let everybody have good eats, amen. Now it's, thank you, Lord, for this, and thank you, Lord, would you take care of this, and would you take care of that? His prayers have changed. What a privilege to share the faithfulness of God. Personally, faithfully, daily, because guess what? We're going to be talking about that eternally. That shortest psalm, Psalm 117, just two verses. Praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples, for great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures, how long? Forever. Forever. You know what Ephesians 2 tells us? That God is going to take eternity to tell us with what kind of love he loved us. It says he will take the ages to come. Evidently, that's a pretty long love story. If it's going to take the ages for him to explain it, because you know what? You and I still don't get it. We love it. We just totally don't understand it. We celebrate it. 
because it's true. We communicate it with what I would call transparency. Transparency. I said, I didn't hide it. I shared it. I didn't hide it. I shared it. It's personal. It's faithful. Daily. Eternally. Contemplating his faithfulness, we want to wait for him in trust. Celebrating his faithfulness, we want to worship him in truth. But communicating his faithfulness, we never want to stop witnessing about him with transparency for how it's worked with us and how we know it works for others. Thomas Chisholm wrote that hymn that we sang earlier, Great is Thy Faithfulness. As a testament to God's faithfulness in a very ordinary life, I love this. He was born in a log cabin in Franklin, Kentucky. And he became a Christian when he was 27. He entered the ministry when he was 36, but because of poor health, he had to retire just one year later. Think about that. No great stuff going on in his life from a human perspective. But during the rest of his life, Chisholm spent years living in New Jersey and working as a life insurance agent. Still, even with a desk job, you ready for this? He wrote nearly 1,200 poems in his life, including several published hymns. Listen to the words again, would you? Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not, as thou hast been thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto thee. Summer and winter, springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Pardon for sin, and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with ten thousand beside. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. That hymn is rooted in the middle of Lamentations, which is in the middle of a book of tears over the loss of a country, the loss of a home, the loss of a place of worship, the loss of a country identity due to the disciplining hand of God on the one hand, but the reason he said, I'm never going to let go, is because of the promise of God on the other. See, one of the reasons you can trust God's word is he's faithful in his judgments as well as being faithful in his salvation. That's a previous generation song. That theme has been grabbed a hold of, and if you've heard it on radio, it starts with an old, what well, sounds like a Victrola, with that great is thy faithfulness. But Sarah Gross goes on to say this. Morning by morning, I wake up to find the power and comfort of God's hand and mind. Season by season, I watch him amazed in awe of the mystery of his perfect ways. All I have need of, his hand will provide. He's always been faithful to me. I can't remember a trial or a pain 
that he didn't recycle to bring me gain. I can't remember one single regret in serving God only and trusting his hand. All I have need of his hand will provide. He's been faithful, always been faithful to me. This is my anthem. <laughs> this is my song. The theme of the stories that I've heard for so long. God has been faithful. He will be again. His loving compassion, it knows no end. All I have need of, his hand will provide. He's always been faithful. He's always been faithful. He's always been faithful to me. I invite you to join us this week as we contemplate, as we celebrate, and as we communicate the faithfulness of a very faithful God. Remember, God writes with a pen that never blots. He speaks with a tongue that never slips. He acts with a hand that never fails. Spurgeon was right. God is faithful. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, all of us in this room, sitting inside or out, we come from lives of various stresses, difficulties, mysteries, and wonders, hurts, habits, hang-ups. We come as imperfect people. We love what Hudson Taylor said. Giants of the faith are weak men and women who have laid hold of the faithfulness of God. Would you help us to do that with a tighter grip this week that we'll never let go? We ask in Jesus' name.